I was hiking the Grand Teton. I fell forward, and there was a rock that was about hip height, and I hit my head on it, and I rolled off the face of the cliff. Welcome to our podcast, everyone. Today we've we've got a great guest with us here. He's a he's been a good friend of mine for a few years since I've known him, um, Evan Pack. Um, he has experienced incredible trials in his life. And uh, Evan, you know, when I moved in, I, I saw you and I'm like, what's this guy? What's the deal with his scar? He's got like this scar on his face. I don't know. Evan, can you tell us about that? Yeah, for sure. I love my scar. I used to not like it. I'll tell you what. I look forward to the resurrection. That'll be great to get rid of. But in the meantime, it's awesome because it's uh, it'll be a fun story. There's a lot of great things to talk about. But the reason I like it so much is because, as I've talked about with you, it's just it's all about becoming a pirate. Like, again, the whole thing within Doctrine and Covenants is the Savior talks about, you know, having an eye single to him. It's not eyes. It's not plural. It's singular. So got that eye patch. And so I have this big old scar on the side of my face. And it helps me remind me. It reminds me of Christ. Because it reminds me of an experience that I had about five years ago that I'd love to share with you guys. Yeah, please go ahead and, and let's let's hear your story. Awesome. Well, thanks, Brandon. I, I'm just really grateful to be part of this today. There's a lot of great things. And so hopefully my story, I mean, there's a lot of great stories out there, but happy to share mine. Yeah, there's a, a lot of things, different things to kind of talk about. Obviously, I think we've mentioned this before. I grew up in a, a phenomenal home up in Idaho. Loving parents, 12 siblings, second to the youngest, so all the good genetics were gone by the time they got to me. But hey, didn't stop me from having a lot of fun life experiences. Uh, loved it. And the good thing with me is I've just had a ton of experiences throughout my life where I've known Jesus, come to love him and respect him. And I didn't realize how much that would matter to me until about five years ago. That whole focus of the parable of the 10 virgins and just putting those drops of oil in our lamps really took on a kind of a new meaning. And so about five years ago, so this would have been in August of 2017, I was hiking the Grand Teton, which is a beautiful mountain range in Wyoming. I grew up in Southern Idaho. So I saw the Tetons all the time. I'd climbed them a number of times, but just before our family reunion that year, a few of my brothers and I decided to go climb the Teton. We were climbing up, and it was a really fun, beautiful day. We got up there in pretty good time, and we had just summited. And so we were looking over the valley, and that's when things changed. So the last memory I have is taking a picture of the summit where they stamp it and say, you actually made it. There's just a little kind of marker, the geological marker. Took that picture. That's the last memory I have. And it was interesting because we had just started coming down from the summit, and I was wearing my marathon running shoes. Cause I knew that essentially my feet were going to get swollen or different things. And so as luck would have it, one of them started to come off, you know, kind of getting a flat tire and that shoe started to slide. So I shifted my balance to stop the shoe from coming off. When I did that, since I was carrying all the ropes, I fell forward and there was a rock that was about hip height and I hit my head on it. And as soon as that happened, knocked me out, I fell down. And then apparently I had a seizure and I rolled off the face of the cliff. It was interesting because two of my brothers who were with me were down a little further. And so they saw me fall off the face of the cliff. And as those who are familiar with the area, it's about a thousand foot drop. And so they thought that I had fallen all the way. And my brother, who was just up above me, saw me fall. And he thought for sure I was over the cliff. 
They went running to the side, and as it were happening, a lot of tender mercies happened. There was a small little ledge um, that was situated just below the cliff where I fell, where if you look at the side of the mountain and here's your little ledge, there was also a little rock like that. My face fell directly into that. I was unconscious. It snapped my neck, uh, which was a tender mercy because it stopped me from bleeding out. It broke all my bones from my nose to the back of my head. And that's when a number of things happened. Uh, Thankfully, one of my siblings who was with me was a doctor. So he was able to come get up there. There's kind of like a little small path. If you were careful enough, I was carrying all the ropes, mind you. So they had to kind of climb on over to get to me. Uh, And then as luck would have it, or as another tender, undeserved mercy, uh, they were able to get cell service. And so they called my parents. They were able to call essentially 911 to have a number of different emergency vehicles or helicopters coming up to kind of get me. The other thing that happened that was another tender, undeserved mercy is the wind died down which allowed the helicopter, which happened to be in the area, to kind of to get up there. There was also a, an emergency or a guided tour right behind us that had emergency equipment. And so my brothers were able to get that, and they just held me for about four hours. And it was interesting. I don't have any memories, but apparently I tried to wake up several times, <laughs> as you can imagine, and fight with my brothers and tell them I was okay to walk down, um, not quite understanding the severity of my injuries. And while I was up there in talking with my brothers, uh, my eldest brother gave me a blessing. And as soon as that happened, I stopped reacting. I was calm. I sat there and my bleeding slowed. And so they held me, like I said, for about four hours. till the helicopter got up there and they dropped a bungee cord with a, uh, <clears throat> kind of a stretcher that has airbags and it's compressing so you're inside of it. And they put me in that and they flew me down to the parking lot. And then they had another helicopter come and then take me to Eastern Idaho Regional Medical Center, or ERMAC. And there um, they were able to start treating me immediately. It was interesting because um, the next day they started surgery about 8 a.m. or so. And I was under the knife for about 14 hours. And they were calling my wife every 30 minutes to let her know whether or not I was paralyzed, because that was supposed to happen. Uh, As you can imagine, with a spinal (laughs) fracture like that and everything else they were working through. Um, But because of a number of different things, uh, they were able to take care of me. It was interesting. And then after that, I was put in a sleep-induced coma. And I stayed in that for about a week. And a number of different miracles and things happened within my life. It was interesting because I remember I was coming out of my coma and people can say whatever they would like. Uh, I have a very, very sure testimony of the other side of the veil and how thin it is. And among other things, I was being taught something very clearly. And it talked about the power of prayer that nothing I had done (laughs) again, uh, tried to be good, but nothing I had done in my life was the reason I was coming back and said it was the prayer of others. And it was interesting because I thought and reflect a lot about that. And we can talk a little bit more later, kind of just on the different aspects of that. But that was a really fundamental thing that kind of shaped my rehab at that point. Um, Because a number of things happened. Again, um, had to learn to walk again. That was interesting. I woke up and realized I was blind. 
in my left eye and will always be blind in my left eye. So that was fun to kind of work through. <laughs> also had to go through a number of different surgeries to repair a fractured wrist that was completely destroyed, a number of different things within my face they had to keep working through. And there was a lot of different things that kind of worked out. It was interesting through that entire period, though, as you can imagine, uh, had great support from families and friends. And we'll talk a lot more about that. I think kind of you and I have talked about that before, about the, the blessing, I think, about the ministering of angels, especially on this side of the veil, with just family and friends and things. And it's interesting because it was a great experience. I was only in the hospital for... Uh, I think two or three weeks. So it was not nearly as long as expected. Uh, and I, my recovery was accelerated and I, I didn't quite understand why. And in hindsight, I feel like I have a good answer because while I was in the hospital, so I have four young children and I love them. They're just little peanuts <laughs> at the time. They were, uh, what was it? Basically six down to the age of Oliver who would have been six months at that time. So all little peanuts and my wife and I decided not to have them see me in the hospital because I was just, battered, bruised, kind of destroyed, as you can imagine. Uh, so I hadn't seen them. Might scare them if they saw you, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, again, yeah. I didn't have much to look at in the first place, but when you start looking at someone's face, it kind of gets destroyed at that point. It was good. Yeah. 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 And so what was interesting is <clears throat> went home that night, and the next morning, it was, it was interesting. Uh, my son, Oliver, who I mentioned, who was six months old at the time, uh, I gave him a hug that evening. I still remember it vividly. It was perfectly there. And in the morning, he had passed away in his sleep that night. And it was interesting just within a three-week period having a number of fundamental things change within my life. And again, being so grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's been fascinating to think about why that occurred, all the different things, and I'm just grateful for that fundamental understanding of Jesus. And so it's it's interesting when you kind of think about that, right? Where we're kind of discussing and thinking through all the different blessings that we have in our lives. And I again go back to the fact that as a child, my parents just asked me to read the scriptures again and again and just all those little drops because I'll tell you what, Brandon, <laughs> it took every drop I had in that lamp <laughs> and then some. And I may have borrowed yeah. some from you and other friends and my family. Uh to work through it, but it was wonderful in that regard. And so it's been, it's been interesting to reflect on that because I think from all that experience, there's been a a number of different things that I've learned, if that makes sense in that regard and have really appreciated my fundamental foundation in Christ. Wow. That's, that's an amazing story, Evan. Um, I think when I've heard you tell this before, you mentioned uh, there was a little bit more to the story of you on the mountain with, um, your, one of your brothers um, going up ahead or something like that on the trail. And then, yeah, so I don't know. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting because it kind of comes down to the, the whole principle. One of my favorite things, love the scriptures, but one of my favorite scriptures that Tad Callister, I'll give him the credit because he highlighted it, uh, talks about in Second Nephi is that the Savior employeth no other servant at the gate. It's him. And It's interesting because the whole premise, at least from his perspective, is that the Savior wants to be the one that is there for you to give you that hug. And it was interesting because while I was flying down, I cheated, you know, took a helicopter ride down where my brothers, they had to climb down in the dark. So it was interesting because while they had been ministering to me on the side of the mountain, they used up all their water. They used up pretty much all their resources. 
to try to keep me warm, they had taken off most of their outer clothing <laughs> and wrapped me in it, and all of it was gone. And we had planned on descending early in the afternoon or late in the afternoon, early evening, so they we, none of us had brought lights. In fact, we had cell phones, but the batteries had quickly died on that, so there weren't were very many lights. So they found themselves in a unique situation where the rangers helped them repel and go through some of the more treacherous parts in the dark. But at that point, the rangers were saying, hey, you guys should spend the night. You don't have the equipment to descend in the dark. And my three brothers were just so worried for my wife and for my parents because they thought surely that I had passed away. And so they argued with the rangers and they decided they were going to descend in the darkness. So they started walking down and they had gone for a few hours and at some point, my youngest brother, he'd been carrying my pack. He had been carrying pretty much everything he could, sat down on a rock and refused to go forward. He was exhausted. He, he is a very strong man. He served in the U.S. military in Iraq was a war veteran there. He had a very difficult role in that engagement. And so he is not one that I would consider very mentally or physically weak. Yet at that moment, he was broken. And my two older brothers kept urging him. They're like, Lance, you've got to keep going. And he's like, I can't. I just cannot move. And so they argued, as you can imagine, as brothers would do in the wee hours of the morning. And... Lance just kept pleading with them. You just keep going, keep going, get down to the parking lot. We have two cars. You take one and get there as quickly as you can. So after about five or 10 minutes of kind of going back and forth, my two older brothers decided to, to continue their descent. So they left and they went around the corner and just kept their descent. And there sat Lance. I can see him in my mind's eye, uh, literally covered in my blood because it was on his hands and on his clothes thinking he had lost his older brother. He felt utterly alone. And he didn't know what to do. I, I've talked with him a lot about it. And he sat there for what felt like to him eternity, but it was probably about 15, 20 minutes. And he had the very strong impression that he could just go just one more bend. And he's like, well, I don't think I can do that. And so he kept arguing with himself and with this impression. And he just said, okay, I can do one more bend. And so he picked up both of our packs and slowly started his descent. He kept walking down that path. And as soon as he came around the corner, there in the middle of the path, clear as day in a way that you could not walk past them without stepping on them were my two older brothers. They had sat there in the path with their backs waiting for Lance. Um, my oldest brother, Craig, looked at him and just simply said, we may have lost one brother today. We're not going to lose another. And I reflect a lot on that, going back to that um, comment I had with the Savior employing, employing no other servant at the gate. Regardless of where we're at, he will not leave us. He's there, clearly in the path, and sometimes we cannot see him. And my younger brother just thought, 
how strong that was. And it was interesting because essentially he thought he was just going to make it to the bend. But as soon as he saw my older brothers, he was able to go the entire way. And he hiked for another three or four hours without stopping again. And I think that just as my brothers wouldn't leave their younger brother in the path, I, I know that our eldest brother, our perfect brother, won't leave us. And it's just one of those things that um, I've reflected on. I've been blessed with goodly parents, but also a goodly family where we're all very close. And I know that others don't have that wonderful blessing. However, I, I do feel and know that with the Savior, we at least have that blessing there. You know, so many times I think we 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 fall into that same situation as your brother Lance in life where we just feel completely overwhelmed, completely um, just giving up, right? Of all hope of like, I can't, I can't go on, right? Yeah. And it, it just takes that little faith, that little step to just move forward and, and, and you are carried through those trials. I know that. And, um, that, that's an, such a neat experience there. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's been one that although I was asleep, you know, again, uh, <laughs> wasn't there a person. It's been one that's impacted me greatly as I've thought about that, because I think often when we're going about our, our daily lives, it's, it feels lonely. And sometimes we, we just feel like we can't go on and then just having that extra boost and knowing he's there really does make the difference. Yeah. Uh, let's go, let's go back now to, um, just you, you're in the hospital. All this stuff has gone on. You've, you're worried about your family, your wife, maybe what they're thinking, what they're going through. Um, what, what are some of the thoughts going through your mind at that time? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, Again, another undeserved tender mercy is uh, I have great friends and a great family. I remember being always around someone, meaning my either my brothers or my closest friend would spend the night with me. Apparently, even when I was in a coma and I don't, I wasn't even awake, um, they would spend the night there so that my wife didn't have to and where she wasn't alone, that she was there. There was someone always there. And even the work colleagues and people I had worked with down in Utah came up to visit her and to be with her. And I think that it's it's one of those things that, that really made it easier for me as I was recovering and going through things to understand, again, the, the blessings that come from who we associate with. There's a, an interesting scripture in 2 Nephi, uh, where you, it's the words of Mosiah, not Mosiah, excuse me, Isaiah. And I've always loved it. I know what Isaiah is saying. Let me be very clear. He's talking about not <laughs> um, walking your own light. However, I've always interpreted it a little bit different. This is in 2 Nephi chapter 7, verse 11. And Isaiah basically says, um, compass yourself about with sparks. And I've really thought about that, sparks and the light that we get. And the rest of the verse basically, again, says that you should be focused on the light of Christ. I get that. However, when I was in the hospital, having the sparks or the light from my friends and family, I was compassed about with such great people that it really helped me come under Christ. Uh, It was interesting. While I was laying there in the hospital, um, partially thinking, woe is me at times, if I'm being honest, because you know how that goes. For sure. Uh, yeah. It was interesting. I, I would get texts and 
uh, pictures of different people that had, because I was working for uh, a company that was interacting with a lot of consumers in their home and they just were making like the letter E or guess like that for Evan. And they were taking pictures with customers and sending them to me. Uh, I just, again, thinking about things within the hospital, one of the things that just really helped in my journey, especially in that recovering, one of the, one of the blessings of the ministry of the angels, honestly, was just having those friends and that family that was around to help it sure made things a lot easier. That is for sure. Absolutely. That's, I know in my life when, when things have gone bad, it's, it's, it's literally, it's the people around me that have, that have carried me and experience when I was younger. Well, sorry, this isn't about me, but I'm going to just share something. But, um, you know, I, I'm, uh, I, I had a, you know, a rebellious childhood youth. Uh, it was, it was when I had these friends that came from like, I don't know, they're, they're not even my age, but they were friends that just came from like our singles ward. I was still kind of coming from the family ward just out of high school. And they came and just embraced me, you know? And it was like, that was the, that was the changing moment. Like that helped me. I don't think I could have made it, you know, I, I I wanted to change my life, but I, I just, I had to do something different. And that was like, it was those friends around me that, that helped me do that. Yeah. And I think that that's, uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. It's been the same thing for me growing up in Rexburg, Idaho. Uh, <laughs> I had a stacked deck. I'll be honest. It's a, it's a predominantly, uh, religious community, Christian community, <laughs> especially members of the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. But it was interesting. Just when you have those kind of friends, they sure make life a lot easier. That is for sure. And it helped me kind of stay grounded. And even in this situation, it was, uh, very integral to helping me again, remain focused on the grand prize and really focused on Jesus Christ. So kind of a very difficult time, but also a, a time that was very uh, focused on Christ. It was interesting that after that, I found there was tremendous opposition <laughs> after some of the things and the focus and that the support uh, that was so great starts to die down and you go back to normal life. That's when things really were difficult. Um, that's when I kind of learned a lot about uh, the depth of my testimony in Christ. And I remember there were two different things that kind of helped me on that. And the first one, as odd as it sounds, was I was sitting in my recliner, recovering, thinking about, I don't know, probably woe is me. And then I heard the family that I was home teaching, ministering, but using the old terminology, because that's what was in place at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Their youngest boy was out there mowing my lawn. And I'm kind of one of those weird old men kind of scenarios. I was like, get off my lawn. This is my lawn. I love it. And I just remember being so frustrated that Ian was serving me, that I physically could not go out there. I was in a neck brace and I was just barely able to walk. It was just a very difficult time and Oliver had just passed. And it was interesting because someone serving me, instead of like enlightening me and bringing me up was actually making me very frustrated. And (laughs) he mowed the lawn and I I thanked him uh, the other day, but I I kept reflecting on it. And I just remember when I was sitting there, um, I was so, for whatever reason, frustrated, Brandon, I don't know why, like, think about it. How silly is that? 
someone's serving you. You're sitting in a recliner in an air conditioned home. Like what's wrong? Life's good. And yeah, in that moment, I had a really clear thought that I hadn't ever really thought about with the, the savior in his experience where he had Simon of Cyrene carry his cross. And let me be very clear with this analogy. I am not saying in any way that I am like the savior. Let me be very clear. I am just simply saying when I was thinking about that experience, the very clear lovingly rebuke by the spirit was Evan. Do you think I could have carried the cross if I needed to? And I thought a lot about that because it's interesting. Later on, we learn that Simon, because of that, becomes an active member of the church. And then also his son becomes a leader in the church, as we read about with an axe. That this one act of him serving, or said differently, this one act of the Savior being allowing himself to be served, changed the individual. So I think that sometimes when we're focusing on ourselves, one of the hardest things least for prideful old Evan, if that makes sense, is being humble enough to be served because of the impact it has not only on you, myself, but also the one who serves. And I think that as I kind of reflect a lot about this whole experience and all the different things that were happening, that was one thing that kind of like really stood out and kind of changed my perspective on what it means to gather. Because I think at times we're always, I've always envisioned myself going out and serving no, I, I honestly think part of it is, is being willing to be served too. Absolutely. And it's a hard thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It is a hard thing to be served. And it's like, um, but you, you just have to realize that it is, it's giving them blessings. Right. And, uh, so, I mean, for me, when, when I serve, it's like, I always feel better. Right. I always feel like my troubles just are gone. Right. Absolutely. I just feel like I'm, and so to, to deny someone else that opportunity is, you know, is, is, is yeah, it could be a little selfish, I guess, but, um, but I, I totally see where you're coming from with, you know, with that. And, and you're probably just being, you, you know, just upset about the situation in general too. Like I want to be out there doing that. Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't be out there doing that right now. And someone else is doing it for me. And it's just, you know, just eating at you. Yeah. But. It's just another, one of the things I learned through this whole experience, again, a, a facet of Christ's leadership and who he is that I had never really think about before that just kind of changed who I was. It was interesting. One of the other things um, that also I learned quite a bit about was about that same time period. So this was probably about a month after I got home. So I'd been released from the hospital, and after my son's death, I still couldn't open my mouth. And I'm a repenting, recovering attorney, so you can imagine I like to talk, as you can see, Brandon. Uh, <laughs> and I couldn't open my mouth wide enough to like eat things. I had to mush it with my fingers, or my wife would, and then shove it in. And when I went to the doctors in Idaho, they originally were just saying, oh, it's because your jaw is so swollen. And... After a few weeks, that just doesn't make any sense because the rest of my body seemed to kind of recover, but my face just didn't make any sense. And so I went to, as odd as the sound, I, I asked one of our neighborhood board members to come over and he was a dentist to look at my mouth. I was like, is something wrong? And he kind of 
probes and prizes. He's like, hey, dude, something's wrong with your jaw. He's like, I don't know what it is, but you should go get it checked. So went to another dentist, as odd as it sounds, and he does some preliminary scans and realizes that my jaw is indeed pretty messed up. So then he refers me to somebody else. I bounce around to probably two or three different doctors. And I finally get to a cranial facial surgeon, someone that specializes in it. And he does an x-ray and he looks at it and realizes that essentially, I don't know why, but when I was discharged from Idaho, they didn't fix my face. I didn't have an eye socket like a floor. So my eye was starting to come down. And then I had my jaw and everything was broken throughout that instead of fixing it, they just put three different plates, one here, one here, and the one there. And I was frustrated, Brandon. Uh, it took four surgeries, uh, each six months apart where they would cut me ear to ear, peel down my uh, skin, kind of scalp me and Mm -hmm. just for lack of a better term, bust up my face to get it, to fix it to how they should have done it the first time. Uh, When they did the very first surgery, instead of three plates, they put in over 25 plates within my face to hold it together correctly. Uh, I was frustrated because uh, the other thing the doctor, the craniofacial surgeon helped me understand was that the doctor who did the surgery at the end didn't need to cut me right here. So I had this big old scar on my face. He's like, no, he probably should have gone through your eyelid or up through your jaw. Mm. And when he cut right here, he accidentally severed a few nerves. And so I'm just permanently paralyzed right here on the side of my face. They don't have feeling. It's, uh, as you can imagine as an attorney, you know, those who are warned about in the new Testament about being prideful. So if anyone's listening as an attorney, just take that for what it's worth. But I, I was so frustrated. I just like, well, how do we write this wrong as it were? And I was sitting there again on my recliner in my room, thinking about it Uh, this time after my first surgery. So it was right before Christmas and it was about a 10 hour surgery And it was the first one they put all the plates back in and my face just felt like garbage. And I was again thinking, woe is me. Life is hard, you know, the usual. And I was reminded of a talk that I remembered as a child that uh, Elder Hinckley gave about a French peasant. And to paraphrase it, essentially a, a French peasant was walking down the street one day and he saw a piece of string. So, Bends down, picks it up, puts it in his pocket, and goes on his merry way. He just thought it was interesting. That same day, the local noble person lost his purse. And when he was trying to find his purse, the local butcher or so commented that he saw the peasant reach down and pick something up. So, of course, the peasant must have stolen the purse. So they went and arrested the peasant. The peasant was, of course, denying that it was him because he's like, look, he pulls out from his pocket. It's just a piece of string. But they throw him in prison nonetheless. A few days later, they find the nobleman's purse. They give it to him, and they release the peasant. And the peasant, at that point, spends the rest of his life talking and telling everyone he can that it was just a piece of string. 
it gets to the point where that's his only focus and he ends up candidly on his deathbed deathbed and the last thing he says is it was just a piece of string hmm. that uh the need to forgive and not focus on a piece of string that story really changed my perspective uh that as i was sitting there thinking about it i thought about and in my mind's eye of course i looked at the person who had performed the surgery he was a an elderly doctor that had been practicing for a number of years. He was the last surgeon out of a group of surgeons that day that had been operating on me. And because he was simply just replacing my eye or fixing my face, he, uh, he was on the lowest on the totem pole. So he'd been on call. I can just imagine he'd been sitting there all day. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't know if I was going to live. They didn't know if I was going to wake up well from my coma, what my mental capabilities would be because I had so much brain trauma. And in my mind's eye, again, I don't know this, but I can just imagine him just being really tired and desperately wanting to do what's best, but only really focusing on probably what is necessary. And perhaps he didn't want to go through my eyelid or up through my mouth because it was so swollen and destroyed. I don't know. But what I do know is, although I cannot control what happened then, I can control how I respond to it now. And it was great because as I sat there uh, thinking about it and reflecting on it, I just don't want to be the guy that's known as saying, Hey, it was just a piece of string because <laughs> that sounds like a miserable existence. And so I think that that was a wonderful blessing and teaching moment for me that through this entire thing, as I've kind of seen, sure, we all have imperfections and I have, we all have blind spots. I have a literal one, <laughs> It's, it's interesting to see that we can still focus on what matters. And even though people are imperfect, it's okay. That's what's so amazing because of the atonement of Jesus Christ allows us to, to become better day by day. So that's just one of those things that I've always found uh, interesting. And I'm grateful for that experience to this whole process. What would you like to share with our audience as far as um, maybe just some comments on, on, on coping and going through hard times um, or, or the forgiveness one? I think that's awesome. And I, I think obviously um, people can internalize what you've already said, but is there anything that you would want to share with someone out there that... Uh, is just ha- just cannot forgive someone, or is just can't get past something. And um, what what advice would you would you give them? My experience, or my thoughts on that, really go back to Oliver. So when when Oliver passed away, it was interesting. We uh, we were in the emergency room and by series of circumstances, I had uh, my close friend who was the the bishop at the time. He was there and we were able to give Oliver a blessing. And as we laid our hands on him, it was interesting. I was was under, as you can imagine, a lot of medications at the time. (laughs) So my memory at times was very hazy, but I remember this vividly. I remember placing our hands on his head to give him a blessing. 
And as I started to speak, I had a very, very clear impression that I was not to kill Oliver, that Oliver was supposed to, uh, to go home. And that was interesting because I was, as I was reflecting even then and afterwards, I remember feeling and thinking, I've spent my entire life trying to serve you, Father. What's it worth if I can't even save my son? And we released him, and he went home. The way I would share that with you is, and for others, although I was not grateful for receiving that sure witness that Oliver was supposed to go home, that has brought me absolute solace now. It, uh, it makes things so much easier, I would say, in a very delicate way, because it's still difficult for anyone going through a hard trial. But to receive a sure witness where God speaks to you and tells you it's his will, it allows the experience to be viewed very differently. And I think whether we're being asked to forgive someone who intentionally did something terrible to us, not my case, but I can just imagine for those out there, or we're asked to send a child home, doing the work and spending the time to receive that sure witness makes all the difference. It was interesting because at my son's funeral, uh, my wife, when she spoke, she talked about the impression she had before his passing while I was in recovery. And then it was reiterated to her shortly after his passing to, to live slow. And to cherish and to focus on things. And because she had received that kind of impression and that witness, it helped her progress things. But I would answer that by saying, I don't know, but I do know this. If you've ever built a rock wall, what they do is they drop a bunch of rocks on the ground and you pick them up and you put them in there, you put a little cement, and you just start building your wall. Sometimes you pick up a rock that doesn't fit. The temptation to throw the rock down, kick over the wall you've been building, and just say, since it doesn't fit, obviously it's not true. It doesn't work. And to leave is real. But what I've learned is just to lovingly put the rock down and keep building the wall. Because it's been my experience, even as I've thought about it with an Oliver and with other things, that as I keep working on that wall, that testimonial wall, some of the rocks that I once picked up that didn't make any sense, and they didn't fit, now perfectly fit. Mm-hmm. And I can keep building Now, that said, I would say that there are rocks I've picked up numerous times that still don't fit, 
still don't make sense. It's okay. I still love those rocks. I look at them, I put them down, and I just keep building. And I think for any of us, as we're trying to come unto Christ, we need to first just acknowledge that it's a process and becoming something is real. But the second is that we just need to keep trying. God loves the effort, as President Nelson talks about. He just loves it. And that has made all the difference to me. And I'm grateful for both the rocks that fit and the rocks that don't. It's a great analogy. It's a great analogy. Thank you. And I think with that, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap up here. And Evan, thank you so much for your time, um, for, for the experiences that you've shared with us that help us grow closer to Jesus Christ. Um, that the lessons that we can learn, um, without having to go through some of the experiences ourselves, but we can, we can vicariously, you know, learn that lesson through, through someone else. And, and so thank you for, for everything that you've done and, and, and shared. And, um, no, it's been awesome. I appreciate it, Brandon. This has been a lot of fun to yeah. think about all the good things, all the things that matter in life, right? They're absolutely things that matter and things that don't. And just this experience of talking about, some things that were difficult, which are so awesome because of Jesus. I just mm-hmm. love it. I love talking about him because it's just one of the best things about it is that even when something's really difficult and hard, we get to know him. We get to know him that much more, which just shows you how awesome he is. I just love it. Mm-hmm.